Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. Hey, we're in Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to tell a very familiar story, the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. And we're going to look at this story like we've been looking at all of the stories through two lenses. Lens number one is what are the Sunday school lessons that we need to learn or relearn or remember from when we were a kid hearing this, uh, these stories or this story. And then lens number two is looking in and saying, how does the story ultimately point to Jesus? See, the first lens is a good lens. The second lens is the better lens. And so we want to see both lenses or through both lenses this morning. And this story is a story that starts off with the words, after these things. In other words, the previous 10 chapters. See, we meet Abraham initially at the end of Genesis chapter 11, and then God calls him out of this place called Ur, and it's the first of nine tests that God puts Abraham through. He passes all of them, the first eight he passes, culminating then in test number nine, which is what we're gonna look at this morning. And Abraham's life is an incredible journey filled with challenge and filled with sin, his own sin, filled with some impatience, but also filled with receiving and hearing from God, from getting promises from God, promises from God that wouldn't just change Abraham and his family, but would change all of humanity forever. And these promises would come to Abraham, um, one under the stars out in the desert and uh, different interactions that he had with God or he had with the angel of the Lord. And Abraham is a heroic figure. In Sunday school, you probably grew up singing, Father Abraham had many children or many kids and you know that whole song, I forgot it, right? Son, I am one of them and so are you, right? And so Abraham, man, he's all over Sunday school. And here we are now in chapter 22 of Genesis, after these things, after Abraham has journeyed through a lot of life and he's stayed faithful to God. Now we all show up today to church this morning after many things, many things. Some of us, those many things have nothing to do with God. Our life has not had anything to do with God up until this point. And we're here for whatever reason this morning. And I think God wants to say something to you. And for the rest of us, or many of us, after these things are uh, journeying with God for a period of time, whether that's a long time, 60, 70 years, or 20 years, or a short amount of time, and you're here for this reason, carrying all of those things with you, I think God's got something for you this morning. And so we're going to look at what this story is about through lens number one, but we won't end there. We'll end through lens number two. And so after these things... After all that Abraham had been through, eight previous tests of God, it says that God was going to test Abraham again. Maybe you don't like the fact that God would test us. You say, well, that's an Old Testament concept of God. It's not a New Testament concept of God. God doesn't test us. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus has this conversation with a guy. We know him as the rich young ruler. And he says, hey, why don't you go sell everything and then come follow me? And the guy says, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And he leaves. What is that? Well, that's kind of a test. Right? And so this idea of um, a test is not completely unfamiliar. Uh, it's not unfamiliar at all in the New Testament. And so, because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But one of the things that's hard for us in this um, story, we look and we say, well, what kind of God would ask someone to sacrifice their own son? 
This is barbaric. How could I pledge allegiance to a God like that? You got to see the story from beginning to end. You can't cut out right when you hear that. You got to see the story all the way through because that's exactly what God does ask Abraham. God asked Abraham, Abraham who's from Ur of the Chaldeans, Ur, a place where uh, people were asked frequently by their gods to sacrifice their children. And one of the things we don't see here uh, in the story, we can read into it perhaps, but we don't actually see it in the story, is some kind of internal struggle for Abraham on sacrificing his son. Of course that would be difficult. Of course it would be difficult to lay your own son down on the altar. Oh, by the way, if you haven't heard, Lindsay and I, we're having another baby, and it is a boy. So I'm going to know what it's like to have. So someday soon here, August 9th is the due date, uh, Winston Churchill Whitlow will come into the world. That's not happening. I'm just going to keep saying it out loud until she gives in, okay? I thought about just putting a second at it at the end, like Winston Churchill Whitlow II. People would be like, isn't his dad named Stephen? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's a cool name. All right, anyway. So God asks Abraham to sacrifice your son, and uh, there's no internal struggle that we see in Abraham, perhaps because he's already passed eight tests, and so he trusts God a lot, and perhaps because he came from a place where what gods would demand of you if you wanted to pledge allegiance is that you would sacrifice your son. Like, that's just what you did. And so he's looking at God and he's saying, okay, you're my God, but you're probably then just like all of the other gods. And so if you ask me to do this, I'm going to do that because everyone else does that because you're God and you can ask me to sacrifice for you. And because you ask me to sacrifice for you, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice for you. And so that's how the story begins. That's the stage of the story. So Abraham rose, or, well, God says, Abraham, where are you? And Abraham responds. He says, here I am. And it's not a bad lesson. That when God calls, we should respond. Notice how uh, if we look back at our other Sunday school stories, Adam and Eve, God called. They didn't respond. They hid. Cain and Abel, uh, when God called, Cain lied and deceived. Abraham here is a heroic figure because God calls and he says, here I am. He responds when God tests. It's not a bad lesson for us to remember that when God calls, we should respond. Here I am. Oh, but we have to give to the motive. Why? We'll get there at the end. So Abraham says, here I am, here I am. And he tells him what to do. And Abraham rose early in the morning. He obeys and he obeys immediately. Also not bad. When God calls, we should respond, here I am. And we should obey and we should obey immediately. And so God places something on Abraham. He tells him exactly what to do. It's clear that it's the voice of God. Abraham responds and Abraham obeys. You're probably not facing a test this big, but it might feel this big to you. And if God is instructing or calling you to something, it's not bad to remember you should respond, here I am, Lord, and obey. Sometimes it's smaller things. Abraham's initial things were smaller than the ninth test. There was a maturing process that occurred for Abraham, but then he got to the place where he could say, here I am, whatever you want, Lord. I do want to get to that point in life. I hope you do too. There is nothing you could not ask of me, God. And so Abraham responds and Abraham obeys. He rises early in the morning. He saddles up his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And so a father, a son, and some servants head out on a journey. Let me say that one more time. A father, a son, and some servants head out on 
a journey, a journey where only the father really knows what's about to take place. Right now, the son doesn't know, and the servants certainly don't know what's really going on. The father has some knowledge that the son and the servants do not have at this point in the story. And so he, the father, cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. The father prepares the altar. The father prepares the altar. The father prepares the altar for his own son. And he's going to respond. He's going to obey. And he's heading on out. On the third day, the third day, God didn't let Abraham wake up one day, give him really hard instructions and say, now immediately carry them out. It's almost as if Abraham had to go through a crucifix, a three-day journey. Imagine the weight of what Abraham is carrying. Now, here's what is admirable to me about Abraham, that when God told him to do something that, for all intents and purposes, has to be very difficult to carry out the sacrifice of his own son. He didn't get to just wake up and do it immediately. He didn't get to wake up and tell somebody else to go do it for him. No, he had to actually journey three days with the weight of that on his mind. But something amazing happens while Abraham's on this journey. See, perhaps unlike you and I, when Abraham heard something difficult from God, he didn't use the three days to cast doubt upon it, to talk himself out of it, to make up excuses for why it couldn't have been God, to try to figure out some way to work around it. No, something else, not doubt, not questioning, rose up in Abraham. The three days didn't make him say, I'm going to try to figure a way out of this. Now, the three days built up something else in him. What was it? On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, the servants, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. The father and the son have to go do a thing in a place, in a way that the servants could not do, could not go, and could not understand. And so the servants have got to stay back because the father and the son are going to go to a mountain where the, uh, the servants don't have permission to go. And they're going to do something that only the father and the son can do. The servants can't do it. And so the servants are going to stay back. And Abraham, he responded to God. He obeyed God. And now he says, while we go, I'm going to worship. How do we get through tough calls of God on our life? We row, respond, obey, and worship. Respond, obey, and worship. And so if uh, you do feel like you're facing something tough right now, row, row, row your boat through it. Respond to him. Here I am. Obey him and then worship him. And so Abraham's got this uh, thing in his head that he knows he has to go do, but he says, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to worship as I go. I'm not going to go in doubt. I'm not going to go in fear. I'm not going to go in anger. I'm not going to go in bitterness. I'm not going to say, God, how could you ask me this? If I'm going to go, I'm going to worship as I go. And whatever this test is, whatever this place is that you're at right now, if you're going to go through it, you should go through it worshiping. 
So turn that Spotify back up. If you don't know what Spotify is, turn the radio back up. And keep on worshiping. Keep on responding. Here I am, Lord. Keep on obeying and keep on worshiping. That's exactly what Abraham does. But something else at the end is really interesting. He says, I and the boy, the boy, the boy is not a boy. The boy is 30-something years old. The boy's a man. The boy could physically reject his father. The boy could have, had the father wanted to try to exert his will on the boy, the father could have physically in the flesh, he could have pushed against the father and not obeyed the father. From a flesh perspective, the boy was stronger. The boy was bigger. He didn't have to listen to the father. He says, I and the boy will go over there, the place that you can't go, servants, to do the thing that you can't do, servants. We're going to worship, and then we'll come back. What was it that grew up in Abraham during that three-day journey? It wasn't doubt. It was faith. It was faith. See, I was always taught as a kid in Sunday school that what Abraham was doing right there was telling a white lie. He didn't want the servants to know what was going to happen on the mountain. He didn't want Isaac to know what was going to happen on the mountain. So he was just telling a little white lie. We're going to go up and then we'll come on back. And so in every Sunday school I've been in, that was just Abraham kind of being sneaky to get Abraham or Isaac to go with him. Ah, uh, I think this other perspective makes a lot more sense to me. Abraham was speaking in faith. He says, we're going to go do what we got to do, but we're both going to come back. We're both coming back. He says it even clearer as we continue on. Abraham, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And so now the innocent son, Isaac, who's done nothing wrong in this story, the innocent son is going to carry up the wood for his own altar up to the mountain. And the father's going to take the, his hand, the fire and the knife, the fire of consumption to consume the sacrifice and the knife to slaughter the sacrifice so that the innocent blood of the son might be shed. And so the father is bringing the fire and the father is bringing the knife and the son is going to carry up the wood to the altar that the father had prepared to go to the place that the servants couldn't go, to do the thing that the servants couldn't do. And as they're climbing up, Isaac yells out. I know he yells out because there's an exclamation point in my Bible. He yells out, my father. And then he asks a really good question. We got all the ingredients, dad, except one. Where is the lamb? It's almost like they'd done this before. Like they journeyed together before. And they'd done sacrifices before. And they had a ritual that they did and that. But they're missing one important part, the lamb. So I, 
Isaac's looking in. He's like, you got the fire. That's good. You got the knife. That's great. I see the knife. It's in your back, Dad. I know it's there. I'll carry the wood. That's what I normally do. You're old. I'm young. I can do that. Where is the lamb? And this time, Abraham looks his son right in the eye. By the way, remember, the son is not just the son. The son is the fulfillment of the promise. The son is not just the son. He is his son. We can't take that away from it. He is his son. The story tells us that he loves his son. He is his son. He does love his son, but he's more than just the son. He is the fulfillment of the promise. What is not riding here is just the love between a father and a son. It's the very thing that Abraham has built his life upon. I will be obedient to you, God, because you will be faithful with your promises. And so I will follow you. I'll leave my homeland. I'll, I'll give Lot the better land. I'll do all of this stuff. I'll keep obeying in every test because I'm trusting that you are faithful in your promise is. And the promised son is Isaac. And on that starry night, when God had called Abraham righteous, not because of his works, but because of his faith, he had told him, look up. You see all those stars? Remember the beach, all the sand? That's how many descendants you'll have. It was a promise. And so Abraham is not just being asked to place his son on the altar. He's being asked to place the promise on it. He's being asked to place his entire trust that God will keep his promises and so Abraham looks the promise in the eye and he says this, God will provide for himself the lamb. I don't think he's lying to Isaac to get him to come up to the mountain. I think he's speaking faith into the promise. He's speaking faith into the promise. He's saying, I don't completely understand everything that's going on. This seems contradictory to the promises that you've made, God, but I'm going to speak faith into this promise. And you might be facing a situation right now that is gut-wrenching, that is hard. And you're trying to remember the promises of Scripture that you've read, and you're looking up and you're going, God, this doesn't make sense. Speak faith into the promise. Look it in the eye and speak faith into the promises of God. God, you said you would work out all things together for good to those who love you. God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. God, you said you would always give me the power and a way out over temptation. God, you said I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God, you said that there is restoration of relationship at the cross. We're both Christians. Can't you bring us back together? Speak faith into the promise. So Abraham speaks faith into the promise. And then they, because the father and the son traveled together on this, they came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham, the father prepared the altar, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife 
to slaughter his son, to shed the innocent blood of his son, to sacrifice the promise of God. And as the knife was raised, the angel of the Lord cried out. By the way, you know my thought on this. When it says the angel of the Lord, I think it's talking about Jesus. And so as the knife was raised, and it was about to slaughter the innocent son, Jesus speaks up. Hold on. Abraham, Abraham. I've taught this before. Every time there's a double call of somebody's name in the scripture is an indication that something's about to change. Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, post-resurrection, Mary, Mary. Every time there's a double call, by the way, most of the time it comes from a Jesus figure. Every time there's a double call, it's an indication that something's about to change, something's about to transform. And so the angel of the Lord cries out, Abraham, Abraham, don't do it. And Abraham looks and there's a ram. Now, y'all are good students, so you know, what's the ram doing here? We were looking for a lamb. That's a ram. Lamb, ram, different. And Abraham looks and he sees a ram. He's like, good enough for me. So they grab the ram. The innocent son comes off. The ram is slaughtered. They walk off the mountain. And God says, now, now I know. Now I know that I have your heart. Now I know because you would not withhold anything from me. Now I know. And then he follows it up with two things. The first thing he says is God does provide. God will provide. And God will provide, friend. He will provide. He does provide. Before we leave today, I'm going to pray for you that what you're praying for and what faith you're speaking into the promise that God will provide the answer for you. That what seems elusive, that what seems impossible, that God will provide it. And then the second thing he says is after great sacrifice comes great blessing. After great sacrifice comes great blessing. And, and the story seems to be indicating that the greater the obedience, the greater the blessing. And so he looks at him and he says, now I know that you've done this. And because you would not withhold anything from me, I'm going to bless you unlike you could have even imagined before. And so he reminds him of the promise, adds some new things into it. It says, we're going to go ahead and do some blessing here because you were obedient. And then the father and the son walk off of the mountain that only they could go to to do the thing that only they could do. And they come back down to the servants. And I wonder if the servants said, hey, what happened on the mountain? I'm reading into the story, but I wonder if Abraham and Isaac looked at each other and just smiled and said, you'll never know, but I got good news for you. There's a new blessing that's been poured out, and you servants, because you're a part of our family, now get to live under the blessing of the obedience of the Father and the Son. And so I know, servants, you didn't really do anything. You just stayed here. 
But now Abraham and Isaac are blessed. And because they are blessed, the scripture says their household is blessed and the servants are part of the household. And so the servants are gonna now live under the blessing of the obedience of the father and the son. And they journey on back. I wonder when they got home and Sarah said, hey, what happened? Abraham said, you're gonna die soon. I'll let you figure it out in heaven. Probably didn't say that. That was a joke. He just might not have wanted to explain that to his wife, right? Like, uh, okay. It's a good story, friends. And if you're facing a test of obedience right now, you should row your boat through it. You should respond, here I am. You should obey, and you should worship. You should. And you should speak faith into the promise of God. Because I do believe that there's some blessing on the other side of obedience, whatever that might look like. And God will provide. And I love a good story. Love a good story. But I like a great story even better. So if you'd indulge me for a few more minutes, I want to tell you how a good story becomes a great story. See, there's another story that takes place on the same mountain where a father and a son go to the mountain together. And the father prepares the altar for the son. And the son is around 30 years old, and he's innocent. And he could have physically rejected the father. He, in his flesh, could have said no to the father, but he doesn't. This son, instead of carrying the wood of the altar to the mountain, carries the wood of his cross up the mountain. And the servants are all sitting around there because what's about to happen on the cross, the servants can't do. And the servants can't go to that place. The father and the son are going to have to go there together. See, in the first story, Abraham went up to the mountain to sacrifice his son because that's how every God ever up until that point would have asked for allegiance. And so Abraham journeyed up there probably just thinking, you're a God like other gods, and so I'm going to do this. And the good part of the story was that God showed him on the first mountain, I'm not a God like every God. Here's a substitution. The ram can come in, and I'll save your son. And so that makes him a little different than the other gods. But in the second story, we see how he's not just a God unlike any other God. He's a God that's greater than anything we could have ever imagined. Because in the first story, we were promised a lamb. And there was no lamb. There was a ram. And so in the second story, the son is on the altar as the sacrificial lamb. And in the second story, the son cries out again, my father, my father. But he doesn't cry out, my father, where is the lamb? He cries out, my father, why have you forsaken me? Another way of saying, I will take the knife. See, God isn't just a God who doesn't demand that we sacrifice for him. He's a God who takes it a step further and says, I will sacrifice for you. See, I always grew up hearing this story. And it was always depressing. 
Because this is how this story ended every time I was growing up, and I've even taught it this way before. At the end of the story, there's a little cross out here, and you get a piece of paper, and what you're supposed to do is write down the thing that you love more than Jesus. And you write it on the piece of paper, and you bring it up to say, God, I will not withhold even that from you. Because I love you so much. But if you were a good Bible student like me, you knew what the real trick was, is to trick God to thinking that you didn't need that thing and that you would give it up, but you knew that in the end, he would give it back. Because that's what he did with Isaac. And so if you can just convince God enough that you are willing to sacrifice that thing, then what he'll really do is he'll give it back to you. And most of the time, when you preach Abraham and Isaac, you walk out going, man, I really want to pass this test. If I just grip my teeth, if I just lay down this thing that feels like a promise from God, if I just lay down this thing that is a desire of my heart, then he'll be happy with me. Then there'll be a blessing on the other side. That's how we always tell the story. I got good news for you. You're not Abraham. You don't have to pass the test. Jesus already passed it. This story isn't a story of sorrow where you're trying to figure out what you have to give up. This story is a story of celebration because God gave up his son, Jesus, and Jesus gave up his life. This is a story of joy that says, I can't believe you would take the knife. And so we always want to figure out, if I'm not Abraham and I'm not Isaac, then who am I? I have to be in there somewhere. In the first story, the father and the son went to a mountain to do a thing that only they could do, and the servant stayed on back. In the second story, the father and the son went to the cross to do something that only they could do. In the first story, when the father and the son came off of the mountain, the blessing fell onto the servants because they were part of their household. You want to know who you are in the story? You're not Abraham. You're not Isaac. You know who you are? You're the servant. You're the servant. Oh, and that's such good news. Why? Because when the second son came off of the mountain, or when the second son came out of the grave, out of the tomb, the blessing of his obedience is now yours. You're not fighting to get an obedience from God or a blessing from God out of your obedience. You're receiving the obedience of the innocent, perfect son. But here's why the second story is even better than the first story. Because in the first story, the servants stayed servants. In the second story, the servants become sons and daughters. They're actually embraced or welcomed into the family. And so the blessing falls on you, and it goes even further. You're now a child. So my friend, I don't want you walking out of here today saying, what do I need to lay at the altar that, that I love right now more than Jesus? And if you've done that before, this is what I want you to do. I want you to march back up to it. I want you to grab it. And instead of leaving it on the altar, I want you to start speaking faith into the promise of it. 
because I did this sermon and I was a good single Christian kid and so I wrote marriage on there and you've done it. You've said, if we can't have kids, God, then I'll lay it at the altar. You said, God, if I'm supposed to be in this employment state my whole life, I'll lay it at the altar. You said, God, if I'm supposed to be miserable my whole life, I'll lay it at the altar. God, if I'm supposed to be in this addiction or my loved one is supposed to be caught up in that and they're not going to change and they're not going to receive salvation, I'll lay it at the altar. We've probably all done it. We grew up in Sunday school. And now I'm saying it's time to go pick it back up. And instead of saying, I'll leave it at the altar to say, God, I'm speaking faith into this promise. And if you don't have the faith, I got an abundance of it right now, so I'm going to pass some on to you. So I'll speak faith into the marriage that you want. And I'll speak faith into the kid you want to have. And I'll speak faith into the job that you need to get. And I'll speak faith into the healing you want to receive. And I'll speak faith into the addiction finally being over. And I'll speak faith into the new season breaking in. By the way, if you're caught up in some kind of weird doctrine that says there's too much faith going on here, I'll say it again. Our faith is a faith of faith. Oh, but I'll get more biblical than that. Hebrews chapter 11, it provides commentary onto the situation. And it says, by faith, Abraham brought Isaac to the altar, believing that God would raise him from the dead. Let me tell you what that means. It means all along, as Abraham was journeying through this process, he never believed for a second that the promise would stay dead. The Bible tells us that's not what he believed. And so when we preach a sermon that you've got to put the desire that God has placed in your heart on the altar and let it die, that's heresy. The promise is supposed to come to life. Mm. Here's where I'm going to end. I need some pretty keys. Izzy, Lindsay, Izzy plays pretty keys. Lindsay's a pretty keyboarder. Come on now. I mean, yeah, I can't, you know. All right. That was her mom. I want to end in two places. First, I just want to share with you that I'm speaking faith into the promise of this church unlike I ever have before. Because the promise is never supposed to be dead. 
So I want you to know as your pastor, I'm speaking faith into the promise of our church. And I'm believing the best days are yet to come for us, friends. So we're getting close to moving out of this theater. Bring all your friends. We got 100 extra seats over there. And God's got work for us to do. And the other place I'm going to leave it is this. We learn in this story the motivation for obedience. The point of this story is not that we grit our teeth to be obedient. The point of this story is that we see the second son, Jesus, being obedient for us doing the thing that we could not do, going to the place that we could not get to, taking on the knife and the fire of God's wrath for us. And when we gaze at the second son and that he was willing to take the knife from the father, that's supposed to melt our hearts so then we can say, here I am. Here I am because Jesus, you paid it all for me. You did it all for me. That becomes the motivation for all of this faith talk. So don't leave here today. Don't leave here today without seeing the real story. Jesus taking the knife. But then don't let it stop there. Don't also miss the fact that he resurrected and that the blessing now comes on his children, of which you and I are. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.org.